everyone and welcome to the Fan Fiction Tapes. I am your host Maya and today I am joined by uh, Riley Quinn. And I am the producer Ian. Uh, this is episode 18. Today's topic is The Cosmere, which is a series by Brandon Sanderson with a lot of phenomenal world building to talk about. The main focus of today's episode is going to likely be Stormlight Archive, however... Spoilers for the series will likely abound. If you want to avoid those, now's your chance to dip out. Uh, and fair warning, this is a topic that neither my or uh, Maya or I are remotely normal about. <laughs> no. As it should be. Okay, what is the Cosmere? Yes, that is a good place to start, and that's actually a trickier question than it might seem at first. Well, it's a book series, right? No. Not, not not, exactly. It is actually a series of series, a meta-series, if you will. Uh, the main series within it are uh, the Stormlight Archive, the one we're going to be talking mostly about today, as well as Mistborn. There's several one-off books. The most important, well, the most relevant to the wider setting are uh, Elantris and Warbreaker. Yes. Although some of the other... More one-off ones are going to be more relevant. There's actually, um, as of the airing of this episode, there will be a book that is going to be publicly available um, that's another one-off. However, I did not back the Kickstarter, so I don't have it. Um, I Actually, you know what? I think I have it. I don't. I haven't read it yet, um, but the e-books for that are available to for everyone to, to order, and I pre-ordered uh, that e-books one. e-books are. Yes. Yeah, but I I want physical books. I'm I'm like that. Well, uh, Secret Project One is out in, in physical book as of this month. Yeah, yeah. Trust the Emerald Sea. That's the one I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Secret Project Two is out on ebook this month too. I don't Ooh. actually know the real title for that one, but I should have it on my devices. I will go read that soon. <laughs> <laughs> so. That was also a lot of words that I suppose didn't tell any of our listeners much about the actual series. Um, most of the books are some kind of fantasy setting. Mistborn is actually unique in that it progresses from fantasy all the way into sci-fi. That's which the plan, is anyway. very neat to see. You don't see a lot of worlds that do that. Yeah, usually the magic system falls apart with industrialization. In the case of both Mistborn and Starlight Archive, the magic systems actually seem to be driving industrialization. Nice. Yeah, one of the things that I personally like a lot about Brandon Sanderson's writing is that he kind of integrates the magic with science, uh, and being a bit of a nerd, I enjoy that. So do main characters carry over between uh, books? So this is the neat thing about the Cosmere. Um, While it is a big shared setting, uh, you don't actually need to know anything about any of the other individual series within the setting to be able to enjoy um, any of the works. It's basically, there are Easter egg level crossovers. Nice. Um, I think San- one of Sanderson's initial concepts was, what if I wrote a whole bunch of books and there was a background character that showed up in all of them? <laughs> yes, Hoyd. Yes. Shows up in nearly every book? Just from the name, I get the vibe of a deity posing as a scruffy old man. You're not far wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty close to Hoyd. He's he's not a god, but he had a chance to be one. He turned it down. <laughs> what a good guy. I, I'm I'm not entirely well, that certain that remains that's to be true. seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a motto listed in Mistborn that is true for much of the whole Cosmere. There's always another secret. That is another thing about Sanderson. Also a tangent. Um, and perhaps something to keep for a later episode when we discuss twists uh, more in depth. But Sanderson does twists very well in a way I think more writers should look at rather than um, 
at M. Night Shyamalan for twist guidance? Usually, I uh, it, twists can very easily irritate me if if there's not enough setting them up to be going. Is it? I'm assuming since you like Brendan Sanderson so much, the twists that he puts in his book are like you'd read it on a second guess and it's like or a second run through and it's like ah yes he was foreshadowing here 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 and you really see the setup maybe on the second read if not the first. Yeah, you, usually. On his twists, you, the twist happens, and you go, how did I not see this coming? Oh, nice. There's one of those actually in um, Tress. Ooh, that's, I'm excited. Yeah, I know, I'm not gonna, I'd, I'd love to gush more about Tress, but I know you haven't read it yet. Um, it is, yes. Okay. I'll likely stop by a bookstore after finals and pick up a copy. Do it. Spend your tuition money on books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did just get $500, so. Ooh. Well, um, yeah, so, like, we've, we've kind of mentioned that Cosmere is a shared setting for a bunch of different unique worlds. And the thing that appeals to the the engineering brain in in me and I'm, i guess in in you as well maya uh <laughs> so all of the worlds seem to have their own sort of magic right right um in the the world of mistborn you have people who can eat metal and gain powers based off of the different types of of metal that they can uh burn um and a couple other systems that are also related to metals. Um, and then, if you come over to Stormlight Archive, um, the world of Roshar regularly has massive super hurricanes that wipe across the continent. and In a specific direction. In a specific direction, yeah. And always after the storm passes over... Um, it leaves behind this magical energy called Stormlight trapped in any gemstones it passes over. And it turns, turns out that if you um, form a bond with a therapy fairy, you can <laughs> inhale Stormlight and gain special powers depending on the type of therapy fairy. When you say inhale... He does mean inhale. Yes. You... Not, not like crush up the rocks. No, 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 no. Like, no. The, 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 the stormlight storm comes out. Stormlight is gaseous. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. Uh, and then there's other settings like um, in, in the Elantris books, you have um, Elantrians who can draw magic runes in the air. Uh, you have uh, the, the whole breaths system in warbreaker um and so it seems like there's all of these various different magics throughout the cosmere but when you learn more about the cosmere and these various settings you learn that there are these same underlying systems because the the same metals that crop up in um, the magic systems of Mistborn are also important for the magic systems of Roshar, which is the world of the Stormlight exactly. Archives. And you see them also having certain um, effects in other settings. And here is where we get into major uh, spoiler territories for the Cosmere as a whole. Um, because it turns out that all of these magic systems are powered by something called investiture uh which in this setting is basically sort of a third form of matter and energy you've got matter you've got energy and you've got investiture and investiture is what powers all of the magic systems and it is concentrated in the form of uh what are called the shards of adenalcium we don't know yet exactly who or what Adenalsium was, but he kind of seems to have been God? Maybe? Yes. Um, 
The shards themselves are regularly considered gods by the uh, various peoples of the Cosmere, and for pretty much all intents and purposes, they might as well be. Uh, they're damn near immortal and have a lot of pretty impressive powers. Slight, slight technical note here. Uh, the term shard refers both to the actual pool of investiture as well as to the person who currently holds it. Yes, that is true. And a person can hold more than one shard? Yes. Uh, as happens, actually, at one point in the series. We're, we're deep in spoiler territory, I think... I think True. we can we can <laughs> from this point onwards um if you're still listening and you haven't read anything beyond like a couple books go away and come back later. <laughs> well, you can listen to what we're going to talk about but if you want to catch it with entirely fresh eyes well, go away come back later if you don't care about spoilers, which is perfectly valid. Keep on listening. Although I should, I should ask, uh, Riley, do you mind spoilers? I'm good to go. Okay. We kind of dropped a couple of big ones in front of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops. Well. I'm having a good time. Tell me more. Okay. All right. So, one of the neat things about investiture, as it tends to happen is that it acts almost as a reinforcement of the trope that same people don't become adventurers. Oh yeah, there's a reason that I referred to to the the spren as therapy fairies. Yes. So usually the magic systems don't really like to interact for folks who are well adjusted. Uh, almost always the protagonists of the series, as well as the antagonists and everyone else who uses magic, they have some issues that need working out. I mean, people with issues make more compelling characters and stories. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That is something I wanted to talk about later as well, was the characters that Sanderson writes. But that's later. This, this, this I think, is most obvious with the, the Knight's Radiant in Stormlight yes. Archive. It's um, most explicit with them as well. Yeah. Uh, like, explicitly, you have to have cracks in your soul in order for the spread to get in. Oh, my. Um, I hope people aren't going around intentionally causing trauma to... <laughs> that, <laughs> that would be Mistborn Era 1. <laughs> that happens in the first book. Oh! <laughs> Strong start. See, so... Okay, Knight's Radiant, you have to bond with a Spren to get powers. And in order to be able to bond with a Spren, you have to have cracks in your soul, like mentioned. Alamancers, uh, who are the, the um, people who can burn metal, uh, consume metal and then burn it to gain powers on uh, the Mistborn series, um, their powers are innate, but they have to be awakened. And that process is called snapping. It's called that for a reason. Yes. Oh um, this is pretty frequently induced uh, through some form of violence. The One of the main characters of the series, Kelsier, snapped while in a horrific, horrific mind for a specific very rare metal. Uh, after repeated structural violence and personal violence, eventually he got magic. Yeah, I, I've I've seen that happen in the Persona games and shows. Be, because of the... So the structural system of the Mistborn setting, um, at least in Mistborn Era 1, is it's basically kind of what would happen feudalism. if you had... Yeah, it's, it's, it's your typical feudal stasis fantasy society, but the setup is what if the Dark Lord won? So you mm -hmm. have this you have this very stratified uh class system, caste system between the nobility and the peasant class who are called the ska. 
Um, and supposedly it's only the nobility who are supposed to have um, Mistborn powers. So... That's strange to me. Like, you'd have the lower class, you'd make sure that they don't experience enough trauma to get magical powers. It seems like you'd inevitably try to... Kind of like I said, like I said, well, like I said, the 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 Mistborn powers are innate, but have to be awakened. So the Dark Lord, when he took over, did some genetic tinkering with humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was his closest friends who got Mistborn powers and became the first nobles. Um, And then everybody else he made able to survive on uh, basically ashes. Um but it he set up a society where the peasant c- class are horribly oppressed and aren't but aren't supposed to be able to access the magic powers and the nobility who have the magic powers sit on top of everything um since it takes some trauma typically to awaken magic powers uh this often means that uh nobles will brutally beat their children at some point during their childhood in an attempt to get them to snap. Yeah. Uh, Uh, That would be the unfortunate logical conclusion. Yeah. By the time of the story of Mistborn, the, the dark Lord has ruled for almost a thousand years. Um, And of course this has resulted a thousand years is is plenty of time for um, genes, genes to escape. Confinement. Especially given the propensity of nobles. Yeah. So yeah. I'm guessing just the occasional bastard child that wasn't made a noble. More than the occasional. More than the occasional. Oh. Um, yep, there, yeah. There's enough to fuel a peasant rebellion. Yeah. Because that, um, that's the plot of the first era of Mistborn is incredible violence in peasant rebellion. Also, trust nothing not written in metal. That's more important for books two and three, but yeah. Yes. Is it like things that are written on paper can just be changed or what? Yes. As a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, so if we're talking, if, if we're talking uh, spoilers free, um, the Lord Ruler is defeated at the end of book one. Books two and three are about killing God. Well, one of the two gods of uh, Scadriel, which is yeah. the world of Mistborn. Yeah, Scadriel uh, was a joint project between two of the shards. Uh, preservation and Ruin. And Ruin, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, neither of those shards are inherently a particular way. It's just... um. I think this is this is something something we haven't mentioned about the shards before. There's so we mentioned there's 16 of them, um, and each of them has a name that is also their intent. Um, I don't know if you can hear the capital letters. I'm trying to pronounce them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there are capital letters here. Um, yeah, uh, that's ruin, that's... preservation, odium, honor, cultivation. Honor, yes. Um. Dominion and Devotion are the important shards for uh, Elantris. Right. Um, uh, endowment is the shard uh, for Warbreaker. Right. Uh, autonomy. That's, yes, Autonomy. I was forgetting that one. Yeah. Um, that one's important. There's a few that we don't, we haven't really actually seen um, we know whimsy exists. Have we? Is that what was offered to Hoy? Maybe. I think oh, that would make sense. Every good immortal needs a bit of trickster. Yeah. Um, mostly. Okay. So we are. By the way, our count for shards. I've been counting on my fingers. Is only nine. There are five of the others. We I guess just don't know anything about. Um. Yeah. I guess. It's possible uh, we they've know, been named on the copper mind, but... Yeah, we know... Oh, yeah, okay, so... 
Brandon Sanderson likes to talk to his fans a lot. Yes. Uh, and sometimes will reveal little bits of info. Um, although usually the juicy stuff, he will respond to questions with read and find out or Rafo for short. Yes. If you see that on a Cosmere subreddit from a user by the name of you uh, slash slash Mistborn. That's Brandon. Spicy. Yes, that, that is Brandon's uh, Reddit account. Yes. Um, but the the major fan-made repository for um, information about the Cosmere is uh, a website called thecoppermind.net. Um, this is a reference to actually something within Mistborn, uh, and something we haven't touched on. Another magic system within the magic system of the Cosmere. The, actually, the... there are three... Yeah, um, I kind of mentioned I kind of mentioned that there were two other magic systems in Mistborn that are related to metal. Um, yes. So we've talked a lot about Allomancy, and I think I've mentioned that word before. Allomancy is the magic system that allows you to consume certain types of metal and then burn those within yourself to gain investiture and use that investiture to do certain abilities based off of the metals. There is a second magic system on Skadriel, uh, called Ferukami, or Ferukami. I'm not yes. entirely sure how that is supposed to be pronounced. Yes, Ferukami is the second most known magical art on Skadriel, and the practitioners of it are practically extinct, and usually forcible Enux in the first setting. Yes. Uh, the Lord Ruler attempted to wipe out knowledge of Ferukmi uh, from Scadriel when he took over. Which is a little ironic because... He is himself a Ferukimist. Yeah. Uh, it kind of makes sense because he is both a Ferukimist and an Allomancer, and he didn't want anybody else to be able to do what he can do. And... One of the most fucky things is that the Lord Ruler did a lot of god-awful things. But, but he did them for mostly good intentions. Yeah. I mean, his ultimate goal was to keep ruin in the prison that preservation had made. Yes, which he did do successfully for a thousand years yeah uh he kind of fucked up the world in the process though yes he did do a lot of awful things to basically everyone else unfortunately um okay real real quick uh before before we get too too far sidetracked from Farukami, um the difference between Farukami and allomancy is that you don't consume the metal in the magic rather yes you use metal objects to store uh, aspects of yourself. So there is um, actually a way of describing the three different uh, metallic arts. So you have allomancy, which is basically breaking physics. Yeah. Because you get out, you don't put really much in and you get stuff out of it. You have ferrochemy, which is equivalent exchange laws. Right, you can only get out of Furukami what you put into it. Yeah. Uh, nothing but, is destroyed nor created. But you can um, modify the time aspect. Yes. When you put in and when you get out, that is different. Yeah. And the last one is also called, is called Hemology. For those of you who are familiar with your words... You might be a little spooked. You should be. Yes. Why is the Greek word, root word for blood involved in this one? Well, <laughs> hemallergy is an inherently destructive art. Hemallergy is the uh, magic that comes from the shard of ruin, and uh, allomancy comes from the shard of preservation. And ferrochemy seems to be a side effect of both of them. 
Yes, I would kind of kind of more call it the art from Harmony. Mm, Harmony didn't exist yet when. Well, Furukami... yes, but like, if Harmony is the combination of the two. True. Um, Har Harmony is the positive combination of the two. Discord is another possible combination. Oh. But. Uh, today I found something out. <laughs> you've read, you've read Mistborn Era too. You've seen, right? You've seen mentions I of have, Discord. I have, but uh, I probably just either didn't notice or forgot. Oh. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah. Hemalurgy is magic from Ruin, and it's called a metallic art because there are metals involved. And it is somewhat similar to Farukami in that you use um, metal objects to store uh, attributes of a person. However, uh, the metal objects that you use are spikes. And the way that you get the attributes is by hammering them into a person and ripping off pieces of their soul. This usually kills the donor. <laughs> I think it explicitly kills the donor. It it um it doesn't always have to. Uh this I... is this is more word of Brandon, but it is possible that if you take from somebody who has um very advanced magical healing abilities such as a um gold savant or a knight radiant uh they could heal the physical damage. Specific wording there. Yes. No, there's, um, it rips off pieces of your soul. That's gone. Yeah, hemolurgy is pretty repeatedly throughout the first era shown to be a very barbaric art. It is, it doesn't just have effects on the people who are, you know, have parts of their soul ripped from them. Oh yeah. The people who stick spikes on them get effects too. Yeah, that's the that's the second part. So you you hammer a spike into somebody, rip off pieces of their soul, probably kill them, and then you shove the spike into yourself. I imagine that would be a rather tortured existence. Yes. The um concept of death on the world of Skadriel is actually no more than a human being who has had Quite a lot of hemolurgy done to him. Yeah. The Lord Ruler mentioned in Arrow 1 had a secret police force called the Inquisitors. Creepy as hell, covered in metal armor, with spikes jutting out from their body all over the place, including their eyes. Yes. They have spikes through their eyes. These were hemolurgic spikes. Uh, hemology, as far as I can recall, was either created or discovered by the Lord Ruler. Um, it was revealed to him in the Whispers of Ruin, when he ah. held the power of the well. The, uh, other relevant thing is that when someone has enough spikes in them, more than two, Ruin can control them directly. At uh, one spike, you can do some funny whispering. And they will... Recipients of spikes will literally hear Ruin's voice in their mind, although they may not recognize his voice as b belonging to him. Two spikes, he gets control. Or maybe it wasn't no, it was, it was three spikes, he gets control, which... Um... Uh, is notable in Mistborn Era 2 for the Rogue Kandra. Yes, yes. I remember now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, three yeah. spikes uh, is just outright control. At one or, one or two, you can do some, some funny whispering. Three strikes, you can do... Three spikes, you can take control. Editor Ian here. Maya had it right in the first place. It's only two spikes that Ruin needs to assume direct control. Um, <laughs> three strikes, you're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, however, that's actually not the scariest part of hemolurgy. Oh, oh, do tell. <laughs> so hemolurgy 
is the only magic system we've seen so far where the only thing that you need to use it is the knowledge that it exists. Oh. Anybody can do hemology. Anybody. That's not a thing that needs accessibility. No, (laughs) it's not. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Blood sacrifices for power. Uh, Not a great thing to be uh, open access. Yeah. This just in, I don't want hemology on GitHub. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) It sounds like if there's a cultural taboo on this, it's not doing enough. Um, well, nobody really knows about it in Arrow 1, so everyone who finds out about it is like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well... Nobody really knows how it works. Everybody knows about the Steel Inquisitors, the, you know, the big scary dudes who are covered in spikes. Um, But it's kept secret from the population exactly how Steel Inquisitors are made. In fact, it's not even known as Steel Inquisitors are human. Exactly. And in Eric 2, hemology happens a lot more. Yeah. Um, And a lot more casually, too, Actually, one of the protagonists uses a hemallergic spike to talk to God directly. Well, God in this case meaning Harmony, who isn't God to us. Harmony's just some dude. In fact, we know him. His name is Sazed. Yeah, he's uh, one of the protagonists of Mistborn Era 1. After they succeed in killing God, uh, he inherits both the Shard of Ruins and the Shard of Preservation. Uh, because not only does God die, other God dies too. Mostly yeah. because God killed him. Yes. Basically, God and God created the world uh, because they had a bargain where eventually God would get to destroy the world. But God didn't want the world destroyed, so he put God in prison. Uh, This caused God to die. But very slowly. And so eventually, God gets out of prison, God dies, and then a bunch of plucky heroes get together and kill God. And God and God now both get inherited by one of the plucky heroes. Who is basically the only one who gets a happy ending. And calling what he gets a happy ending is... A stretch. Yes. So what I'm hearing is God, in the beginning, God created the universe and this was widely regarded to be a bad move. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about Mistborn up to this point. Um, what about uh, Stormlight Archive? Yeah, we... Uh, that's the one I wanted to talk about this episode. That's what I partially wrote the script with intention of discussing... And then we got distracted. Yeah. Uh, ADHD talking hour, everyone. Uh-huh. And there's so much shiny stuff on the planet with the metal magics. Mm-hmm. Yes, many shinies. Many cool. We didn't even get to talk about the number 16. Uh, however, Stormlight Archives. Okay. As we mentioned, um, Roshar is in a bit of a pickle. Roughly once a month. Massive. I think it's less than once a month, but it, very close frequently. Enough. The uh, the ecology of Roshar is very unique. Uh, the planet's land uh, land mass is basically gathered into a single single supercontinent um, that coincidentally is the shape of oh, which it's a mathematical fractal. Not the Mandelbrot set, but a different one. I'm looking at it. Unfortunately, I don't know what that shape is. Anyways, um, the important thing here is that um, very frequently, storms sweep across the entire planet from um, east to west. Uh, Basically, picture 
as if Hurricane Katrina would land in Boston and carve its way to San Francisco every month. And everyone lived in this exact strip that hurricane crossed. I, I think that the path that it takes sort of wanders back and forth north to south, so it doesn't quite cover the entire continent every time, but yeah, they're big. They happen very frequently, and they're called high storms. Uh, there are also basically no normal storms. Yeah, this is... Uh, the only alternate weather that Roshar gets is a period called... The Weeping? The Weeping? Yes. Um, which is like the equivalent of December. It's gray, rainy, kind of wimpy. Yeah. Um, outside of that period, uh, the seasons on Roshar are very unstable. Uh, they, they happen basically at random. Um, not quite like the way that A Song of Ice and Fire has it, where, you know, you shift between years of winter and summer. It's just that you end up with these unstable weeks of different sorts of weather on Roshar. Um, but the storms are the major factor in the ecology of Roshar. Uh, they are so violent that except for the far west region that is protected by multiple mountain ranges um roshar's uh environment is pretty much entirely stone because any soil that would get laid down would be completely stripped bare now this is not entirely true there is actually a region with soil and this is it's an it's an area known as as Shinovar, and it's the only place that actually has grass. Uh, well, grass is we would know it. Yes. So, what's the path of this storm? Is it from the northeast it, to the middle south, or what? It goes. It it varies um, over time, but it, it the main path of it is is east to west, and okay. it it goes sort of. Northeast to southwest sometimes, southeast to northwest sometimes. But it always the, misses Shinovar? By the time the it gets to Shinovar, it's passed over the entire continent and many mountain ranges, and it's basically just a very bad rainstorm, rather yeah, than a Category 5. By, uh, a mountain range of its own? Yeah. There's, so. there's the mountain range that, that defines the border of Shinovar, and then there's other mountain ranges across the continent that the high storm has passed over by the time it even gets there. Yeah. So what this means is that uh, outside of Shinovar, all life native to Roshar is some form of crab. The crabbing. Hmm. Crustaceanification. Aside, aside from... Humans. Everything from Shinovar. Well, there are humans living living all over Roshar, right? Well, yes. Humans True. are the humans are the only non-crab. Uh, well, there's there's a few things. Uh, humans, birds. humans, chickens, uh, minks, and horses. And don't I thought I thought horses came from Shinovar originally? Oh, well. Here's the thing. Everything that's not crab came from Shinovar. Except that even everything that's in Shinovar isn't originally from Shinovar. Turns out, uh, humans are not native to Roshar. Fun fact. The same people that you might see in an entirely different planet, if you see them on another planet, funny things happened. It should be noted that... um, while it's l- likely that for most places in the Cosmere, the original home world for humans is um, Yolen, which we really haven't seen. We've only heard mentioned. It's supposed to be where Hoyt is from and where the 
current holders of the shards are originally from. Bar uh, Harmony. Yeah. And actually Bar Odium. No, Odium is... Oh, well, okay. Ray's Odium is from Yolen. Yes, Ray's, yes, but Ray's is dead. As of, yes, as of the end of, of Book 4 of the Stormlight Archive, uh, the Shard of Odium, uh, God's hatred divorced from all context, uh, has passed from its original holder to another. <laughs> we'll get to him later, maybe. Yeah. In world-building terms, it's this is one of those those twists that's set up through the world-building. Um, yes, because if you if you come to Stormlight Archive, uh, it's very likely that you've come from Mistborn or yeah. from other Cosmere settings, and in a lot of those cases, um, in the Mistborn setting, humans actually are humans on Skadrial actually are explicitly native to Skadrial. Uh, they were not imported from elsewhere. Um, they were created by ruin and preservation along with the planet, as part of the planet. They were modeled after humans from Yolen because that's where the holders of ruin and preservation were from. But Skadrian humans are native to Skadrian. Rosharan humans, on the other hand... Are not. No. But we don't find this out until... Book three, I think? Yeah, late book three. Now, we do know that... We find out, I think, pretty early on that one of the three gods of Roshar is not originally Rosharan. And we know from the first book that there were a species that came to Roshar and started fucking shit up. Yeah. They were called the Voidbringers, yes. as they came from the Void. But in in the culture of the point of view characters of um, the Stormlight Archive, the Voidbringers are considered semi-mythical. Yes, it has been thousands and thousands of years since the Voidbringers arrived, it's not really even agreed upon what Voidbringers look like or if they actually existed. Like, um, a lot of a lot of people seem to sort of picture them as, like, giant monsters. Yes, um, that is a pretty common understanding and depiction of them. Yeah. And it was known for a time that they caused... Or well, it was believed that in the mythology of the world, they the Voidbringers brought with them something called Desolations, Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, horde mode. Bloom's tower defense. Yeah. Oh boy. And everybody, all all of the civilizations of Roshar would have to band together to fend off the Voidbringers. And so we're thinking, okay, Voidbringers are some other monsters, and we find out the species that had been um, portrayed as non-sentient, the Parshman. Uh, no, they were sentient. And they had big warrior farms, the Parshendi. And so then, of course, usually the readers conclude, okay, so these are the Voidbringers. And that is actually a, a conclusion that some of the characters in the story come to. That the uh, uh, the, the Parshmen themselves were the Voidbringers. And then we learn the original Order of Knights Radiant, the one that we now talk about are based off of they weren't destroyed by some external force or corrupted no, they chose to give up their power to literally kill their therapy fairies because they found out something so terrible they could not continue and that's what we spend parts of book 3 trying to find out and as it turns out humans are the void bringers we brought Odium to this world because under his guidance we destroyed our own. And this is actually kind of, for me, one of the neat things about the Stormlight Archive 
there's almost a deity swap, right? When humanity mm-hmm. comes to Roshar, we worship Odium, and we're destructive, shitful beings. And there are some, there are actually some hints of that in some of the human cultures. For instance, um, okay, so the Alethi follow uh, the Voran religion, which worships honor. But they're the, also very warlike. Yeah. Um, there's, they also have a thing about hands. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> just a weird little thing that that Brandon threw in for the world building. Um, Funny though. One of the other important cultures, though, uh, the Thalans, they follow a religion called the Passions. And the thing about Odium is that he doesn't portray himself as the god of hatred even though that is the name of his shard, Odium. He calls himself the god of passions. So the Thalen religion of the passions seems to be a descendant of the original um, cult of Odium that humans brought with them. Um, and the other thing is, and this is this is why I started off with talking about the ecology of Roshar and why everything seems to be crabs. This is the first hint, really, that humans are not native to Roshar. Because it is very thoroughly portrayed that everything in the native environment is highly adapted to surviving storms high storms, high storms in the open all and of the all of the plants aren't. yeah all of the plants have hard shells that they retract into at the, any sign of um movement like the native grasses outside of shinivar uh retract into holes in the rock as you uh walk on them and the basically equivalent of the local, like, cow, almost, in terms of being, like, or, like, cow and ox in terms of being beast of burden. The chulls are basically massive hermit crabs that you can ride around. Yep. Um, the local, uh, hounds, or axe hounds, are, uh, fast-moving, um, lobsters. It's also funny how um, Alethi language has sort of condensed or, or changed the the words for general categories of things to use like what we would consider to be a specific word. Uh, so, for instance, chicken. You will see the word chicken used in uh, Stormlight Archive by our Alethi viewpoint characters and you will realize over time that's their general word for bird all birds are chickens and that's probably because when the first human refugees landed in Shinovar they probably only brought chickens with them and there was going to be a lot of loss of institutional knowledge that comes with the uh, destruction of your home planet. Yeah. So there's there's all these neat little details that are built into the world building from book one that kind of tell you uh, humans don't belong here. And eventually that's revealed. Humans aren't from here. Um, it's revealed. Honor is not the original god of humanity. Odium is. Yes. As I mentioned, there was the swap. Honor was originally the god of the Parshendi. Now, Honor is the god of humanity. And Honor is dead. Yeah, that's the first reveal, actually, in, in the books. That one that one comes pretty quickly. Yes. Um Humanity worships this concept of the honor and the almighty, who are actually separate things. The almighty is a something kind of more akin to uh, 
some of the AI in Halo that are made off of the brain of someone else, but aren't actually fully them. A low-grade low copy. Uh, the Shadow of Honor, really, is kind of for more what the Almighty is. And he has a line in it that I think is pretty good. Honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. It's a, it's a pretty good line. Yeah. The Stormlight Archives has a lot of really good lines that are just... Mmm... Honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, you cannot have my pain. Ooh, that is a good one. Uh, along with the most important steps a man can take are the next ones. That one is, to me, pretty... Oh. And also, sometimes a hypocrite is just a man in the process of changing. Yes. Uh, the so-called Way of Kings is actually a book within the series. Um, that is a neat detail. That is, actually, that's actually a fun fun detail of all of the book titles so far, is that they're both titles of the novels, but they're also titles of in-world works. Um, Way of Kings is a book on philosophy in the setting. Um, what's the second book? It's a moral uh, code for rulers. Yeah. Um, after that, I think you have... Ah, oh, fudge. I get the next two confused. Oathbringer is the third one. Oathbringer is the third one. Then, uh... Something with radiance in it, I believe. Words of radiance. Yes, those are the oaths that Knights Radiant must speak to become a part of the Order. Some of them are partially known and pretty well documented, and there is actually one set of these words that is the same for every Order of Knights Radiant. Remember how I mentioned 16 earlier? Mm -hmm. There are 16 different Orders of the Knights Radiant. Um, okay. I thought there were 16 Orders of Knights. There are you? 10 Orders oh. of Knights. So here's wow, the thing. Wow, I was just here's, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 16 is an important number Cosmere-wide and also specifically for Skadriel. Um, for, Ro for, the, uh, for Roshar and for Stormlight Archive, the arc number is 10. Ah. That's why there's good 10 books in that series. So the, uh, the first oath of the... Knights rate the orders of the Knights Radiant are known as the Immortal Words. Life before death, strength before weakness, journey, journey before, before destination. destination. <laughs> These words are accepted. <laughs> Usually, at least for the um, Windrunners, the words are a fairly cool sounding philosophical statement. Uh, some of the other orders, this is not always true. Um, Lightweavers have some funny ones. Yeah, the Lightweavers are the weirdest ones. Okay, let's break down exactly... Okay, so bringing it... This ties back into how, um, in order to be a become a Knight's Radiant, you need to have cracks in your soul to bond a spren. And why we call them therapy fairies. So Spren are um, sentient collections of investiture. Uh, well, most of which are not sentient. They're not sentient on the material plane. Um, a lot of... Well, okay. I said sentient collections of investiture. More like living collections of investiture. Yes. Uh, most, most of them are not entirely sentient, but... All of them are drawn to emotion. Um, some of them actually are sentient, and those are the ones that can become um, bonded uh, companions to Knights Radiant. Um, each each order of knights ha bonds a different type of spren. So, for instance, you have the Wind Runners, um, who bond Honor Spren. Um, who are 
spren that are drawn to uh, acts and words of honor. Yeah. Um, another order are called the Skybreakers, who bond high spren, whose uh, ideal is law and acting yes. in accordance with rules. Not justice. Specifically not. Yes. Um, so, there are five grades within each order that are attained by speaking oaths. Speaking oaths and also progression of the bond. Speaking, well, speaking the oaths is sort of how you indicate progression of the bond. You can't really speak an oath and gain powers if you don't meet it. And you also won't get to the point where you mean it if you don't just kind of have development as a person. Yeah. Basically, no one who becomes a Night Radiant is at the start of it ready to progress immediately all the way through. Which is why the first oath is journey before destination. Yes. <laughs> After that, um, the they next... order specific. The next oaths are order specific, but they're also somewhat individual. There's usually a base order specific form, and then from there... If individualism is required, it gets modified. Yeah. Um, we see a lot of Windrunner Oaths because yes. our our main viewpoint character um, from book one is Kaladin Stormblessed, who becomes the first Knight's Radi Knight Radiant since the Order dissolved hundreds of years ago. I thought um, it was longer than that, even. We were seeing total historical decay. Yeah. Well, that can happen in, in hundreds of years. Anyways, um, so he's refounds the Order of the Windrunners. Um, the Windrunners bond honor spren, and their ideal is protection. So a lot of Kaladin's oaths like, the first oath he speaks, Journey Before Destination, and then the second oath that he speaks, I think, is about protecting someone even if he hates them. Yes, but I think that is actually just the form of the second Windrunner oath. Because Tef's oath is I will protect even those I hate, even if the one I hate most is myself. Yes. Teft is a phenomenal character. Oh, he got done dirty. Um, have you read Dawn Shard? Dawn Shard, maybe? That's, that that was the second novella. Um, um if I haven't read it, it's on me because I have um I have Arcanum Unbounded somewhere, although actually Steamed might have my copy still. No, no, I think he gave it back to me. So, Don Shard, we actually get to see um, one of Lopin's oaths. Oh. And he he keeps getting getting kind of the uh, the the short end of the stick in terms of. Um, Everybody else we see speaking Windrunner Oaths does them at dramatic opportunities. Yes. Lopin gets his at humorous opportunities. <laughs> well, he is the Lopin. That he is. Well, as I suppose for Riley and our listeners, Lopin is an individual from an outside culture. We've mentioned Alethi a lot during this section of the episode. Uh, Lopin is a Herdazian. Yeah. So he is, and given some other context, he is a slave in a foreign culture. Basically not going to get to see any of his family ever again. 
unless his situations change drastically, which fortunately for him, they do. He is also doubly so unfortunate for him, disabled, he's lost one arm. And he is, as a slave, tasked with carrying a heavy, portable wooden bridge directly into archer fire. That is, um, suicide mission. Yes. Yeah. That's what those, that's what, uh, bridgemen, which is what those slaves are called, that's what they're used for. Kaladin, uh, another protagonist that we've mentioned, is also a bridgeman. Yeah. The first, the first book is, um, has Kaladin as our view, as our main viewpoint protagonist, and, uh, it shows him starting out in what as a slave in one of these bridge crews and the way that he manages to sort of rally through his own depression and give hope to his fellow bridgemen and eventually win them all their freedom and they most of them eventually join him in refounding the order of windrunners the big exception there being Moash. F*** Moash. F*** Moash. We're not going to get I into that anymore because we are desperately running out of time. time. Uh, normally we would talk about how we feel about something, but I think Ian and I have made how we feel about the Stormblood Archives blatantly clear. I'm not even going to pretend we're normal about this. No. <laughs> we are not. But also, something I alluded to it off the show and talked about it, I think incidentally briefly, there was recently an interview with Brandon Sanderson and some writer for a, I don't even remember what um, news organization carried this. However, they should feel ashamed for it. It was pretty uh, openly bashing on Brandon Sanderson in a lot of confusing ways. And it talked about writing in a way that, I wanted to address on the show. It conflated being able to write words good at, with being a good writer, which is not true at all. Uh, one of the most popular, most well-known writers who is genuinely considered a great, J.R.R. Tolkien, also known for having prose that isn't great and kind of going on and on and on about things. Good writing is not just putting good sentences together. That's not Brandon Sanderson's strength. When that was used to criticize his writing, it was not inaccurate criticism at all. It's true. Where Brandon Sanderson excels is his world building and his characters, which is why we brought him up today. The magic systems and the worlds that he builds, as little as we've been able to delve into them today, are truly fascinating, and the characters he writes feel like real people. We could probably do an entire separate podcast just an analyzing Sanderson's characters and world building. Oh god, we could. However, we already do too many things. Yeah. The both of us. <laughs> So let's just stick to this one podcast for now. Yes. Maybe if I get an actual job that doesn't involve me doing homework at 8 a.m. I think you'd just fill up the extra time with more D&D games, wouldn't you? Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think well. this is well over our word count for this week. Uh, <laughs> Oops. I'm looking in our mailbag and... We still don't have any messages here yet. So if anybody listening wants to reach out to us to uh, let us know what you think about the show uh, or if you have something that you want to share or have us talk about, please send us an email. Uh, our email address is fanfictapes at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. Maya, what's our Twitter? At uh, fanfictiontapes. So you can send us a message there or tweet with the hashtag TheFanFictionTapes. Uh, 
We'd also appreciate if you would give us a rating and review on whichever service you use to listen to our show, be that YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or a different uh, podcatcher. Riley, I know you haven't talked much today, but <laughs> is there anything that you would like to promote while you're here? Oh, yeah. Um, I have my one book, The Fool, The Lovers, The Devil. It's completely different than the content of today's episode. But if anyone's looking to enjoy some LGBT romance, it is currently available on NetGalley to request review copies. Um and my website is RileyQuinnTheFool.com. All right. Awesome. You should read it. It's good. So I hear. Well, Riley, thank you for coming on and letting us be neurodivergent at you for an nice. hour. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it was lovely to have you on again. I am and have been Maya. I'm Riley Quinn. And I am Ian. Until next time, bye.